Welcome to episode 80 of the Roger Snipe Show. The Roger Snipes Show. Yo, what a guan. Hope all is great and everyone is blessed. So yeah, we are, what month are we in? April. Actually, it's almost May. <laughs> Can't believe it. 2021 is almost halfway. It is, you could say May. And then the following month is June. And we're halfway through the year. It's insane. And um, yeah, looks as if we are hmm, maybe on the cusp of making a slight dent in this uh, this this Corona business. <laughs> we'll see, man. Fingers crossed, isn't it? Fingers crossed. But anyways, today's podcast is with Alex Tarnava. Hopefully I said that correctly. This is the second time having Alex on the podcast. I've decided to invite him back again. He is the co-founder of Drink HRW. I decided to invite him back because, well, I love his level of commitment. His level of commitment to research in his products, which he sells. <laughs> and you know what? That's that's pretty much it, you know. That is pretty much it. That That is enough for me to trust someone because when it's... Before you put it on the market and you have done so much research and you're still doing research when you have enough, when you have enough data and you're still doing research, that's like, wow, you are really committed to know that you've got the finest of ingredients in your products. So, um, yeah, man, kudos, my friend, kudos. <laughs> uh, so today we discuss two new products which he has introduced to his uh, product range. Um, and both of them mainly used by athletes or individuals that are focused on performance, uh, whereas the others are kind of for longevity and um, even beauty. So the, the ones which you might know of is the hydrogen water. Uh, I think, what's it called? I think it's called Revolution. I think it's called Revolution. I think so. <laughs> um, so yeah, you could use it for performance or people who are focusing on longevity. It you know it has so many different benefits um, that it doesn't matter. Anyone can use it. In fact, my six-year-old daughter uses it. I, I give uh, her half a capsule every morning. Don't worry, it's safe. It's hydrogen. Um, so yeah, as a recap, Alex is the co-founder of Drink HRW, a company that specializes in high quality supplements. Now I believe the flagship product is the molecular hydrogen water. Um, yeah, no other commercial entity has compiled more data on hyd hydrogen water uh, supported by clinical research. You can explore their updated list of human clinical research, uh, which is among the most comprehensive in the world. So I, I tried the two new products and I thought they were really good. Now I'm not just saying it, you know, obviously because um, I can easily just say that because of being um, sponsored, but 
I think maybe because I hadn't used pre-workouts for a long time, I felt like, wow, this is amazing. And then using it consecutively for a few days afterwards, I was like, okay, it's not quite doing the same. So let me just give it a pause. So I would say after a, d a day or two uh, break and then going back to the pre-workout, it was pretty incredible. It was really fantastic. So um, when I was looking at the ingredients, I was like, hmm, interesting. So some of them I was pretty excited about, but there was one in particular which I was not too sure about. And it's uh, a, a controversial uh, ingredient known as a sweetener, which is sucralose. Sucralose. Now, as you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very stringent when it comes to the type of ingredients which I use. And I contacted Alex and I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm just, um, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned about this, bro. <laughs> and then after I said that, he, he said, yeah, lots of people um, would be concerned or have been concerned. Um, and then he said, uh, please, I've have a read of this. I've written an, I don't know how many pages article on it, talking about all the clinical research about the sweetener, the artificial sweetener in all the data he's found and how safe it is. I'm like, boy, okay, okay. Um, and, and I think this is one of the things that um, encouraged me to want to have a talk with him again. Because he's so in depth with his studies and he, he spends a lot of time doing that, it would be better if it comes from the horse's mouth, as they say. So anyways, yes, we, we also talk about the future plans of the company. It's all very fascinating stuff. Anyway, let's get to it. Let's bring on Alex Tanava. A lot has been happening with uh, Drink HRW, isn't it? I know um, I constantly get lots of news newsletters with uh, more research and more research. I'm like, wow, this, you know, like you put a lot of work in. That's all I got to say. A yeah. Um, well, I don't like selling things unless I can fully stand behind them. Right. Um, I mean, I, I've written a lot like with the hydrogen tablets. I, I really didn't want to get into the supplement industry, right? Because most in the supplement industry are, are just completely unscrupulous. Yeah, you know, most supplements don't have any evidence behind them. They don't have any safety behind them. Um, but when we started looking at the mechanisms of hydrogen and how it worked, it only made sense from a supplement side. Because if you say pursue it as a pharmaceutical, then that means you're spending, say, a billion dollars to target one thing, you know? So say we, we use it as like a diabetes medication. That means that it would only be able to be used as a diabetes medication, cost a billion dollars. You know, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, right? Take it off market for anyone wanting to use it for, you know, cognitive improvements or, or you know, athletic recovery and performance or, you know, even pre-diabetic states where it might even be more promising like metabolic syndrome and 
you know, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. So based on the mechanisms, we're like, okay, the supplement route is the only way to go. Um, let's do it properly. You know, we need to invest in clinical research, you know, in the same way a pharmaceutical company would. We, we need evidence whether this works or this doesn't so that we can be adapting how, how we present this based on real hard evidence rather than just testimonials and endorsements and how people feel. Mm-hmm. So we, we modeled the whole company like that. Um, and every other product we're launching is kind of based on the same thing. You know, we're, we're, we're starting clinical research on our ageless defense right now. Our first clinical trial is enrolling on that, but you know, that's not like a, a new molecule, new technology. That's, that's just a formula, you know, with other, you know, other ingredients that all have their own evidence behind them. Um, so we, we weren't, you know, we didn't need as much of our own because all of them had their own evidence. Now we spent something like 14 or 16 months. I know I've written it down before, but it's been a few years, you know, we spent a long time, well over a year looking at all those molecules, looking kind of at the targets they hit, you know, how they work in the body so that we weren't choosing molecules that were doing the same thing over and over again, or even maybe countering each other's effects. You see that in a lot of blends, you know, a company will put in, you know, multiple ingredients that all maybe lead to the same outcome in research, Mm -hmm. but they work against each other. Right. So we, we, went really hard to, to find ingredients that complemented each other or, or even maybe provided synergy with each other. So we're doing our first clinical trial there. You know, I know, uh, you know, you just, you just got to try them out. Um, we just launched our boost and build and it was kind of the same idea, right? We spent about a year developing those two products and I, uh, you know, just solicited a lot of advice, you know, from, all of the researchers I know in exercise and sports science, right? You know, when choosing those ingredients, right? They really, we, we pick them to have the best like synergy, right? That, that we could between two different formulas with three ingredients each, right? And then we dose them, you know, to get the best result. Cause you, you see that happen so often, um, supplements will launch and maybe they have all the right ingredients, but they put them in a a proprietary blend, you know, and you look at the total dosage and it's like, Oh wow. This total dosage is lower than any single one of these multiple ingredients should be independently. Right. And then they also have fillers in there. So it's like, how much of the good stuff are they putting in? Right. Mm -hmm. And I know why, um, why no? Why why? Like, firstly, no companies dose appropriately is because it's too expensive, right? Mm. You know, the, the the price that people are used to paying is set at a certain level, right? Um, and people expect to pay that price for, say, a pre workout or a, an energy boosting drink, you know, such like that. Um, and then marketing companies want a certain margin, right? Yeah. So if you want to make a better product, something has to give either your price has to go up dramatically or your margins have to go lower. Right? So what we opted to do is our margins are way lower than most companies are willing to take. Right. Um, On boost and build anyways. 
Um, but we got quotes. Um, we got quotes as if we were doing like nationwide, you know, sales for those products as well. And we know that we can get our margins up to kind of the lowest amount that a company like us is okay with. Like, so to give context, um, most companies start at a, a margin range and, and they start where we're aiming to finish. Right. And then when they get big, they're making like, you know, way better margins. Right. right. We started below what most companies are willing to take. And we're aiming to get to where most companies accept at the, the beginning for margins. And that was just kind of the sacrifice we needed to make to put out good products with, you know, high quality ingredients in the right dosages. Mm-hmm. And what's the feedback you're getting from people with the qualities that you're putting out there? Uh, well, I mean, for build, build takes a while, like all the ingredients that they, they don't work overnight, right? It, it's creatine, you know, hydroxymethylphetorate and beta alanine. So th- those all take, you know, weeks to build up. So people are just really digging the dosages we're putting in for boost. People are loving it so far, right? You know, universally people are like, wow, you know, like I was like pumped full of energy and at my workout or you know that was a fantastic like hangover cure or like that really picked me up and they're saying over and over again that it it really gets them full of energy without getting giving them like jitters like an energy drink would um Mm. and then they don't crash in the same way you know and uh kind of one of the reasons that we, we formulated like this um so so boost is um 200 milligrams of caffeine right? Which is kind of like having a large cup of coffee. It's uh, 1.5 grams of nitrosogene, which is a, you know, inositol stabilized arginine silicate, right? So most people who exercise know what arginine is, right? Or they know ingredients like citrulline malate. They're to raise your, your nitric oxide, right? Um, so nitrosogene has shown to raise nitric oxide um, better you know, in studies than either plain old arginine or citrulline malate, you know, um, even uh, the 1.5 grams of nitrosogene we used, I believe it was versus eight grams of citrulline malate improved uh, vasodilation more, right? And blood flow better. Mm. Um, but a couple of the studies that have been done in humans on nitrosogene have shown that it, it improves perceived energy, right? specifically something called executive function, right? So, you know, attention, you know, is categorized into three different domains, alertness, executive function, and orienting, right? Um, Caffeine primarily affects alertness, but also affects executive function, right? Nitrosogene affects executive function in clinical trials, and our hydrogen tablets affect, affect orienting which neither nitrosogene or caffeine do, right? So between the three, they're, they're hitting all domains of attention, right? That, that, you know, typically fall down when we're hungover, when we're sleep deprived, all these things. Um, additionally, we have another clinical trial that's under peer review right now, so it's not published, that showed that uh, our hydrogen tablets had a more robust effect on brain metabolism than caffeine after sleep deprivation. So we, we put all three together and what it meant is we didn't have to like put 
crazy amounts of stimulants in. Like you look at some energy drinks and, you know, pre-workouts and they might have 400 milligrams caffeine, 500 milligrams caffeine. And this can make someone super jittery, but then you crash really hard because it gets you ramped up and then you crash. So we used a lower dose, which is still a high dose, like 200 milligrams of caffeine, you know, is, is about what you want to have in a day for a lot of long-term health benefits to your brain. So that's how we came to that. But then we also put it in with the nitrosagene and the hydrogen, right? And now instead of getting, say, an energy drink that's going to mess up your body, damage your heart, do all these things, nitrosagene and hydrogen have their own health benefits. Obviously, we've talked a lot about the health benefits of hydrogen. Our clinical research continues, you know, to improve, stack up nitric oxide. I mean, the disc- the discovery on, on kind of the regulatory role of nitric oxide, you know, in, in our health led to a Nobel Prize, right? So hydrogen and nit- nitric oxide are both critically important to our health right? And caffeine is dosed in a way that's led to health benefits rather than harm, right? Because basically for anything, you know, the dose is what matters. You know, if the dose is too low, it doesn't have an effect. If the dose is too high, it can have a harm, right? But if the dose is just right, that's where you're seeing a benefit, right? And that's what a lot of times doesn't get through in education. You know, it's what you've seen like mega dosing of you know, certain vitamins and, you know, minerals that a mega dose can cause the same harm as deficiency. Right. We dosed all this appropriately. Right. So that not only are you getting a a huge uptick in energy, but it's actually beneficial to your health. Right. Um, So that, that was really, really important to, to us and why we did that. Um, everything has to be for a reason, has to make sense scientifically. Otherwise, we're just not going to, we're not going to launch it. That's great. I mean, I think even on the package, it said on, on the package of the, um, uh, what product is it? Is it the boost or it could be the build where it's just saying that <laughs> certain brands have an aggressive name and look to it and stuff like that. But yeah, they've um, got you know, flames or like a skull or like you yeah. know, like something like that on them and say how hardcore they is, but then they'll be like a prop blend and you look at the proprietary blend and the total dose is lower than like what like one or multiple ingredients should independently be dosed at. You're like, man, what's in this? Right. Yeah. You know, you know, yeah. what's in this? And those are often the products where they, they put in 400, 500 milligrams of caffeine, you know, because then you feel something, right? Mm-hmm. People are like, oh, wow, this stuff works. I'm jacked up. <laughs> well, really, you're just high on caffeine, right? You know, mm-hmm. they don't have other ingredients that are, you know, helping you work out. And that's a, a thing about like, even though build is the one we designed, right, for, you know, performance, strength, recovery, um, boost you know you look at the the hydrogen and you look at the nitrosagene uh, both have shown right to improve athletic performance and recovery right and both of them for you know muscle recovery have shown to improve like markers like creatine kinase which, which you know is a marker of muscle damage you know it's a marker of a lot of things but you know shows in muscle damage so 
you know, both the hydrogen and the nitrosetine, you know, they're going to help you have a better workout or if you're not working out, they're going to be better than like, you know, power chugging coffee or having energy drinks, stuff like that for total alertness, you know, total attention, right. Total wakefulness without the crash. But if you are working it for exercise, you know, they're both going to help out your performance as is caffeine. Caffeine is one of the best performance enhancing, you know, molecules we, we can take for acute performance. Um, but they're also going to help your recovery. Right. And then when you pair it in with, with build, I mean, we specifically designed build to notch off all the categories. I mean, um, most, most people have at least heard of creatine, right. You know, creatine um, can, can work to kind of extend um, your, your, your energy output for, for, you know, short type of exercises up to like two minutes, you know, it improves one rep max, you know, it improves, you know, workouts up to a couple of minutes. Um, whereas, uh, you know, beta alanine has kind of worked to show that uh, it, it improves more of like the mid range activities, mm-hmm. you know, like four or five minute, you know, activities. So they work hand in hand, whereas, you know, HMB, right. Protects against catabolism, right. Protects against, you know, muscle degeneration. It, it retains it promotes better more lean body mass better body composition composition can I, can I just interrupt for a sec it's um it's something that you don't hear about too often you know there's 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 a few brands which i know that uh have introduced hmb but when it comes to many sports supplement brands they don't they don't really talk about hmb and it's quite interesting is expensive. i'm sorry expensive expensive Right, and that's the reason why. <laughs> so um, this is in Build, right? Yeah. HMB is in Build, and Build is that supposed to be drank as a as a pre workout or an intra workout? Depends what researcher you talk to, right? Um, you know, some of the researchers I've talked to said, you know, say with creatine, you know, they like drinking it like sp- spaced out throughout like six times a day, right, to keep you know levels high all the time, and I'm like. That's just not practical. Nobody's going to do that. Hmm. Right. So, you know, I, I know uh, all three of the molecules kind of have to build up in your system. They don't work after a single dose, right? There's arguments you can take it right before, right after, you know, um, doesn't seem to make a huge difference, you know, for most of these, when you take it, if it's, you know, immediately before work or immediately after during a workout, because it needs to build up, there might be slight differences, right. And your, how your body's using and processing it. But at the end of the day, um, all three of them need to build up in your system. Right. right. So, you know, you, you need to be taking it ongoing, you know, starting for a couple of weeks before you start seeing a benefit and then, you know, it's built up in your system. So it's going to be maybe slight differences, but it's not going to not work. You know, if, if you don't take it, at this exact time, right? It's still gonna have a benefit. Whereas something like Boost that's designed to work immediately, you wanna take that, you know, 10, 15 minutes or or maybe half an hour before you start exercise, you know, Mm -hmm. um, because you want the benefits of the energy when when you're exercising, not after you exercise. Mm. See, most uh, pre-workouts on the market, they would say, 15, 20 minutes before workout. 
most most ingredients like you know hydrogen nitrogen caffeine they all start having an effect within about 15 minutes so you usually say you know take 10 15 minutes and then it's hitting you as you start exercising however um with, with say caffeine yeah it has an effect within say 15 minutes but caffeine often peaks around an hour after consumption right, right? so it really depends on what activity you're doing when do you want that peak energy? Do you want it at the end of your workout? Do you want it at the start of your workout? Really depends what you're doing. So you could say, you know, take it 10, 15 minutes before you exercise, and then the energy starting to hit you at the start, and then you're hitting a peak in energy, maybe, you know, in the middle or the end of your workout. But if you want to do something that is, say, say you're doing like a CrossFit you know, workout or like competition and uh, you know, what's only going to last, you know, five minutes or 15 minutes, maybe you want to take it 45 minutes before you're about to compete. Right. right? Um, cause, Cause the question is when do you want to peak? Right. So mm. in most cases I'd, I'd say 10, 15 minutes, but uh, if you're really in line with what you're wanting to do, then, then look at when the peak energy is going to be at. Okay. So, um, uh, build it's on, on, on the, uh, on the packet, it does say to you drink it before you train. Yeah, we did so, that. Most people are, are used to drinking it before they train. Like personally, uh, when I train right now, I'm drinking build an hour before I okay. train. And then I'm drinking boost 15 minutes before I train. Right. And then during training, you're just drinking water or something. Yeah. I honestly, I, I usually don't even need to drink anything until I finish training because I'm usually so well hydrated that I'm not, don't get a dry mouth or anything as I'm working out, even when it's high intensity. Um, but I tend to drink six to eight liters of water a day. Right. So, right. You know, okay. I usually have a few sips of water once I finish like a boxing or kickboxing workout, you know, when I'm after I catch my breath. Mm -hmm. See, I'm just thinking about like most people, they're used to having maybe an intra workout, especially people who lift weights. Yeah. Um, so when I looked at both of them immediately, I was like, oh, right, this must be the intra workout. But as I started to read it, I was like, okay, so, so it's not quite an intra workout. It's another, a pre pre workout. A pre-workout before the pre? <laughs> but, uh, you, you can use build as an intra. You, you, can, you can use it uh, as an after-workout. Um, and that's one of those things our, our marketing figured out, you know, the phrasing just kind of called it a pre-pre-workout. Um, but it doesn't matter as much when you take build, right? But if you tell people, oh, take it before or, you know, in the middle or after. Sometimes people think, oh, they don't know what they're talking about because a lot of researchers have strong opinions. No, you definitely need to take it before or you definitely should take it after because they published research on the topic that showed a benefit there. Mm -hmm. But when you start talking to a lot of researchers and then you start saying, so what difference is it making? What are you seeing? Like the researcher, the, the you know, sports science researcher I talked to that said, you know, oh, caffeine or sorry, creatine should be taking, taken like multiple times a day, like every couple of hours for best results. And I said, 
so are you saying it, it doesn't work if you only take it once a day? And he said, oh, no, it's, it still works. It's just it's a little bit better if you take it. <laughs> right, right, right. So yeah. there, they, so many different researchers have different opinions on this is a little bit better if you do it like this or a little bit better if you do it like that. And how practical is that? How much better is it? There's debate about it, right? So mm -hmm. it, it, it's one of those things that it's a little bit uncertain, right? But everyone wants certainty, right? Oh, um, you know, there's that saying, uh, I forget, um, I think it was, maybe it was uh, FDR or Truman or, uh, you know, one of the US presidents said, you know, can someone get me, you know, a one-handed economist, right? Because, you know, economists were, were telling them, well, on the other hand, because they were trying to predict what was going to happen from <laughs> policies. Right. And it's kind of the same thing. Like when you talk to like various researchers, you know, they'll, they'll say, well, my stance is here, but then you see another paper that says this, talk to another researcher that disagrees. And then it comes down to, it's like, okay, there's arguments all across the board here. Right. It doesn't seem like it makes a huge difference. Right. Mm -hmm. But, you know, to tell that to consumers that don't say, talk to all these researchers every day and maybe search saying, okay, maybe it doesn't matter a whole lot. Right. Then maybe that's perceived as weak or not knowing. Right. Mm -hmm. But when in reality, we don't know that well on a lot of these subjects, mm -hmm. right. It's. It's it too, too complicated for a lot of people actually. So. Yeah. And, and then, I mean, does it matter more? for one body type, one age, you know, like certain types of workout. And that that's, that's part of some of the problems for a lot of these things, right? It is what was their methodology, right? So it's not like the science is contradictory because, and I'm, I'm just, you know, uh, this isn't real. I'm just making stuff up. What if one study found taking it, say these molecules were better before, but they were in elderly people doing cardio and another one found it was better but they were in like 20 somethings bodybuilders, you know, before lifting weights. Right. And you start digging deep into there and then you look at, at consumers and you know, that consumers are going to be all over the map with what age they are, what fitness they are, what kind of, you know, exercise they're doing all, all these factors, you know, into play. And it's like, okay, well maybe there isn't universal advice for everyone mm. for this. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah, yeah, and then it's just way too much to write on a box. <laughs> what about um, uh, essential amino acids? How comes um, how come you didn't put any essential amino acids in there? Would it be too yeah. much, or are you thinking about doing that separately? What's your thoughts? Well, we're looking into it. Um, you know, we're, we're looking into doing an amino acid blend. Maybe um, I still can't get any sort of consensus uh, on the researchers that, you know, I work with and talk with on if there's any benefit right. to a lot of them. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so that that's potentially in the future, but again, right. I want to stand behind, you know, a, a, a product Robust and, research. It, exactly. Right. Um, I want to stand behind it and I'm not getting a whole lot of consensus on, on strong benefits. Um, 
and then it would come down to okay what what is a breakdown i don't want to just uh buy a bag of a blend because that's what most companies do mm-hmm. right there are these pre-blends of you know um eaas or bcaas that they buy from the manufacturer and you don't get to choose your own breakdown mm-hmm. of how they work everything we do we want to design specifically not just like off the shelf what everyone else is doing um so yeah it's something we're looking into um but it's not kind of on our immediate radar we've got a few other products that are are in ideation right now we're looking to launch a couple other things um by the end end of you know the year maybe early 2022 um depends on a few factors um but uh we're looking to launch one other product for our true performance line and two others for our true longevity line right um but again we wanted to launch boost and build. Um, our, our goal was in October and we launched it in March. Wow. Right? <laughs> when we launch something, it takes, it takes a while because we put a lot of work into it, right? We put a lot of, you know, thought into it, a lot of work into it, you know, try and dot every I across every T, you know, and get everything done so we can be proud of what, what we're selling. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned, uh, Longevity, longevity product. Is that right? Something to. Um, so I remember you. We had a discussion before, and you mentioned um, you have an NAD product, which so we, we resell. We resell that one. Um, you know, we 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 resell that from uh, some friends of mine in a company called Quicksilver. The reason that uh, I sell that one, the NMN Gold, the NAD product. Mm-hmm. It, you know, they refrigerate their NMN and then put it in a liposome and keep it refrigerated and they claim good stability. Now, NMN has terrible stability. You you, you can hear David Sinclair talk on, on podcasts. He doesn't recommend NMN supplements for consumers because he knows in the lab, if it's not refrigerated, the, the molecule degrades within like three weeks of not being refrigerated with, with no moisture. Right. And he said, when it degrades, it can become toxic. Right. Okay. We're actually in the middle of of doing, you know, some exploratory work on uh, NMN and how to, how to, you know, keep the molecule stabilized for consumers to get a higher dose. Cause that's one of the downsides of, of, you know, the liposomal delivery is the dose is so low, right. But a lower dose that has some evidence that it could work. It has better bioavailability. So that's like, okay, cool. Right. You know, um, this low dose could work. It's more bioavailable in the liposome, you know, and it's stored cold. So it's stable. Mm-hmm. Right. So with the NAD gold, I'm reselling from, you know, my, my a company I'm friends with simply because I think it's the best product currently on the market. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, now I'm looking at ways to to improve on that, right? Because NMN is a really really cool molecule, but I'm not just going to just put NMN in a capsule and then put a two year expiration date on it when I know that it's going to be degrading in three weeks, right? And these yeah. manufacturers, what they're doing, you know, is they're they're relying on the two year expiration date 
that the ingredient manufacturers are given. But wow. those are vacuum sealed bags, right? Th those are manufactured in cold rooms with low humidity and put in vacuum sealed bags. As soon as you cut open that bag at a contract facility and mix it in with other ingredients, put it in a capsule and put it in a bottle that's now not vacuum sealed in a different condition, that expiration date changes, <laughs> right? But wow. they're just peddling these products, right? Without this consideration. Yeah, yeah. Or so, knowing exactly the situation. And, and think about this, right? Like David Sinclair talks about research, but like, you know, basically reversing aging in elderly mice using NMN, mm -hmm. right? What elderly people do we see that are buying it that are all of a sudden like aging in reverse and getting more energy? Like it's just not happening, right? Mm -hmm. Because the dosages aren't, aren't the same as that's being used in the research after you convert. You know, when, when you take a, a, a rodent dose, you can't just convert it to body weight, right? There's different metabolic rates. Right. Yeah. So you, you, you have to do all those conversions, those necessary conversions, figure out what the dosage is. Um, and then, and then take it. I know uh, I could be wrong here. I, I'm just trying to remember because I, I did this math like a year and a half ago or something um, with nicotinamide riboside, right. The other molecule like mm -hmm. chromodex, I think the studies in rodents tend to use like one to two grams of NR as a dosing equivalent to humans, but then humans take like 150 milligrams, right? So the human trials have overwhelmingly shown no benefit, right? But it's showing all these miraculous results in, in rodents. Well, they're using 10 times a dose. Yeah. Right? They're using 10 times a dose. That, that's, that's, but then that gets again, too expensive. Right? It's crazy. When I that's like one product I heard about it, it was probably David Sinclair talking about it. And uh, there's one lady, uh, uh Dr. Rhonda Patrick. Yeah, I, I saw actually, you know, and David Sinclair said it a bunch of times, but on uh, Rhonda Patrick, he, he again mentioned, you know, that that three week shelf life, you know, in his lab for NMN. Um, but yeah, no, it, it was uh, he's been on Rhonda Patrick. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think she's put out a podcast in quite a while, right? I'm, I'm on her newsletter. Right, uh, right. Um, no, like, I no, I, I generally check out her posts. They're in bite size. Her podcast is just a bit too much for me. Yeah. Well, she, it's like she takes one deep breath and then she just goes into all of this stuff. And I'm like, wait, I need to digest what you said 15 minutes ago. Uh, her style is very, yeah. Not, I'm not there yet, <laughs> but yeah, it's very informative for sure. Yeah, it is. I mean, uh, and the same thing with everything, anything I say, anything anyone else says, I mean, there's some great content on her site. There's also some things that I've seen that she's gotten critically wrong, you know, um, things about her, like say talking about like cold exposure because it creates thermogenesis is like basically like an obesity cure. I mean, we just know that that's not the case in humans, right? We, we've cured obesity in, you know, in rodents by, you know, brown adipose tissue activating to thermogenesis with like a hundred different ways. And it just, it's not the same in humans, <laughs> not even close. Um, 
Mm. You know, like to generate even a fraction of what the closest we've come to uh, a, a miracle weight loss cure. I, I think the molecule is called DNP. It was like a fertilizer used in the 1930s. It's banned. It's still actually kind of rampant in the bodybuilding community because you shed, you know, weight like crazy. It, it, it's a mitochondrial uncoupler. Well, it can lead to death, blindness, boil your organs, right? You know, and researchers I know in this area, like in, you know, bioenergetics and metabolism just say, this is a, a, a dead area, right? Like for humans, right? Just because of the differences, you know, inability to, to create the, these, you know, bat tissues between humans and mice, it's just night and day and, and just the fragility of humans. So like, even if we could do it, it kills us. Right. (laughs) And there's not saying there's no benefit here. Right. You know, like say you give one molecule to, to uh, a mouse at a dose and they cannot gain weight. Right. Cause they just burn through it. And then you give it to a a human, even ones that um, aren't as effective. So they aren't going to kill you. Well, maybe you lose a couple pounds. Right. But Mm -hmm. it's certainly not going to be like, a miracle you can eat what you want and just up your energy and you know burn off the weight you know through through you know heat creation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we don't work like that unfortunately yeah right you know um but again there's things that i get wrong you know there's things that i've talked about that uh, i've written about that i thought i did really good reading on and you know had an understanding of and then i'll talk to another expert that point out an error to me and i go oh wow you know that that's embarrassing so that's why i say always double check even if someone's trusted and you know they're doing a lot of work and a lot of research and you know they seem really excited about something always double check we always have to step back and say okay is this true right and Mm -hmm. this is um the topic of a book I'm actually writing right now, I'm about 50,000 words in, it's a deterioration of truth in society, you know, and looking at it from every angle, you know, breaking down um, how academia works, right? Now that I'm, you know, publishing papers, you know, filling out conflict of interest, you know, questionnaires and waivers, seeing how the publication process works. I I already wrote like, I think like 14,000 words on how the for-profit, you know, scientific funding and publication model works and it's insane and i'm adding a lot of content to that too um but then just going into how our information system works like say even marketing and the news and you know like not just big data but even individuals right like how what what how things work right from every aspect from you know, publicists to search engine optimization, to marketers, to targeting different demographics, all these things. At the end of the day, it's like your publicist wants to just present a story in this way because they think it sounds better. (laughs) Well, that's, they're like, oh, well, it's true enough, you know, or, and sometimes it's not even true at all, but they (laughs) they just think it sounds good. Um, And then a marketer wants to present it in this way. Right. And then, you know, um, the SEO guy says, oh, well, we need to phrase it in this way to hit Google's, you know, robot. So they read it in this way. And 
every single avenue is distorting the actual truth, right? Of what you're trying to say or what you're trying to write or trying to do. Um, And all of these people that are working, it's not some big conspiracy. They all truly think it's innocuous that the change is small, right? But if you have these small incremental changes at every step, the end product can become completely different from what the intended beginning was, right? And then if you have this end product and now you find in your, 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 your data analysis that, well, that's actually really resonating with this group and it would probably resonate better if you tweaked everything a little bit more, right? And now as it's refined, as you're targeting certain groups and you know those groups engage with this or believe that or believe this, you're tweaking, tweaking, tweaking to fit your audience, right? And now that's how we create these eco chambers, whether it's in health science, whether it's in politics, because messaging is constantly tweaked to fit in with the narrative that this group you're targeting has shown that they engage with, Mm. right? And it's just absolutely absurd. And I mean, this is one of the things, um, you know, we mentioned like, to, to pivot and say, talk about sucralose, right? Um, <laughs> I was going to come to that in a moment. <laughs> but as we're here. <laughs> yeah. All I can say is I, I wrote an article on why we chose sucralose. I can say, I mean, I, I private label my technology to 50 something brands. I can say some of the biggest natural brands in the world you know, they're food scientists, the PhDs, you know, say to me, oh, I wish we could use sucralose. You know, I'll send them like samples of product like for their home use and they'll take the sucralose ones personally all the time, but they're not the ones who get to decide. The, the PhDs in these companies that, that are evaluating the evidence are not the ones who get to decide their policies. It's the marketing team. Right, the marketing team, okay. Right, so the the... In most of these big companies that are dictating the messaging, it's not the experts that are defining their position. You know, it's the owners and the marketers, right? So it is far easier to scare someone about something than it is to unscare them. So all it takes is, you know, and and it's kind of that natural tendency for us to believe that something that's natural is, you know, um, going to be better for you than something that's artificial or harmful. Uh, I mean, we see this in, in the, you know, the, the fireplace delusion, right? You know, people would tend to think a wood burning fire is safer than cigarette smoke or diesel engine smoke, but that's simply not true. Right. We know that, that, uh, basically some of the, the particles burning from wood fires, they can be so small that they avoid our, our mucal response, right? They, they're, you know, in the small nano range, they just get past it. In fact, a wood fire, right, can be something like 32 times as carcinogenic as cigarette smoke or a diesel engine, but when, when, like, or diesel smoke. But you tell someone that and they immediately don't want to hear it because they have fond memories of, you know, roasting marshmallows, you know, on a wood fire. They think, well, humans have been, you know, creating fire for tens of thousands of years, right? Like we immediately have a good association with that 
that warmth, that that beautiful glow of a fire. Naturally, to, yeah. Yeah, and to hear it's 32 times, you know, as carcinogenic as puffing on a cigarette, right? Or parking a diesel engine in your, your living room, that is just unacceptable for most people to acknowledge, right? So we see this in messaging, right? These messages that hit home, they go, oh, some crazy scientists in a lab doing this, it has to be more harmful than this that was extracted from some plant, right? But we know that there's a lot of hazardous, you know, chemicals in a lot of fruits and plants, right? Like, yeah. you know, get things like pears and apples, you know, that have like, you know, arsenic and cyanide in them, right? Like, yeah. you know, look, you can die from eating, what is it, bitter almond? Do you eat too many of them? I think it has too much cyanide or arsenic or something. You, you can die, right? Because it's poisonous levels. We know that there's a lot of, you know, plants that, that are poisonous, that will, will kill you if you eat them, like, you know, especially some types of mushrooms, right? For instance. Mm -hmm. um, so we got, we have to look at every molecule from the actual evidence. And um, th this is kind of, you know, what I, I was telling you the other day is I'll, I'll tend to take the devil I know over the devil I don't, mm -hmm. right? You know, um, you look at, at uh, sucralose. Yes, there's some concerns, you know, it's shown to negatively impact the microbiome. But so has stevia. So has every single, you know, nutritive and non-nutritive sweetener that we've tested, right? From like sugar to, to you know, non-nutritive sweeteners to, to, you know, everything. The difference is you need four to five times more stevia than sucralose, right? To get the same level of sweetness. They're both negatively impacting the microbiome. Um, and, you know, stevia is also more toxic, right? You know, I've never heard that. I've never yeah. heard that stevia is toxic or affects the microbiome. Yeah, well, I, I wrote the article and, and cited, you know, a bunch of places. So it's shown okay. it does. So a lot of this evidence sort of coming out that stevia can be harmful too. So you've seen a big switch in the natural industry from stevia to monk fruit, right? And one of the reasons is monk fruit tastes a lot better. I like monk fruit, right? And there's no evidence that, monk fruit affects the microbiome because there's no evidence, right? So it's never been studied, right? So there's a difference between absence of harm and absence of evidence. And, and that's kind of what I was getting into the devil I know versus the devil I don't. Mm -hmm. Logically, we can say that all the nutritive and non-nutritive sweeteners we've tested have negatively impacted the microbiome. So it would make sense to presume that monk fruit will as well. Just because we've never studied it doesn't mean there's no risk, right? Right. We just don't know yet. Now, I'm crossing my fingers for it. That would be phenomenal if monk fruit had no effect, right? But we don't know that yet. So I can't go and say monk fruit is the safest thing on the planet, even though we, we use a little bit of it in, in boost to round out the flavor, because I suspect that it's no worse than any of the other options. You know, they all seem pretty much the same when we look into it. And again, this is one of the things is people will point out, oh, well, what about this with sucralose for stevia? And it's like, okay, well, we've researched sucralose 10 times more than stevia. 
and it's been around for a lot longer, right? So yes, we find new things that it can potentially do this to say a mouse here or there, right? With, with sucralose, but behind it, stevia and everything it gets studied in slowly shows the same thing. And again, you have to look at the simple volume, right? Of research on the subjects. We can't assume something is safe because there's no evidence that it's done that because there's no evidence that it doesn't do that. Right. Right. So a new study comes out that says, you know, sucralose does this. Well, okay. So by stevia instead, well, has stevia ever been studied for that? Right. Cause we know stevia also does this, 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 and this, that, you know, sucralose does it to us so let's put let's put that aside i don't even like the taste of stevia to be honest with you let's look at erythritol and xylitol so xylitol we can't use in anything that uh, has hydrogen like tablets in it because sugar alcohols same with erythritol um anything with all at the end is a sugar alcohol they actually form complexes with the magnesium so these sugar alcohols preferentially react with our magnesium to make complexes rather than reacting with the acids and the water. So anything that we have a hydrogen tablet is unsafe, right? To put, you know, these sugar alcohols, you know, in in formulation. So that, that's a big uh, holdup. You know, we, we could use monk fruit, say in build, right. Instead of, sucralose and we might release a version in the future that uses monk fruit instead of build again we looked at it um there's no evidence that monk fruit is better there's just less evidence in general right around it so monk fruit is like 10 times the cost of sucralose so i was looking at that and i'm like okay so we'd have to say instead of like 60 bucks or something that i think we charge for build we would have had to charge 65 Right. right. And I said, is this five bucks to a consumer worth it? Now, maybe to some it is because they believe that monk fruit's good and sucralose is bad. But from us evaluating the evidence, can we justify, you know, charging this extra to consumers and, and basically regurgitating this message when we aren't confident in the science? So yeah. it came down to kind of like a, a decision of, of ethics and value to consumers and we felt it wasn't justified um you know even within the tablets i mean we have to use sucralose in the tablets um to to maintain efficacy of the hydrogen tablet when we put in say monk fruit or, or stevia um they foam a lot right so the tablet creates a lot of foam they rise to the surface right and we've gotten them to stay at the bottom but then instead of dissolving in one minute, it takes six, right? So instead of getting the equivalent of 12 parts per million, you get like 1.6 parts per million, right? So, right. you know, one eighth the dose, basically one, one seven, one eighth the dose. Well, we also know that hydrogen positively impacts the microbiome, right? There, there's studies in humans, there's studies in, in pigs, in goats, in mice and rats across the board hydrogen has positively impacted the microbiome we also know that hydrogen works in a dose dependent manner right so if these sweeteners have a slight negative impact on the microbiome but our hydrogen has a positive impact should we sacrifice a you know a factor of eight times in dose 
right, to change the sweetener, even if that sweetener has also shown to, like in the case of stevia, has also shown to negatively impact, it just comes at another angle where we just can't justify it based on the science, you know, and, and this stuff gets quite complicated. I mean, wh one thing, for instance, um, red wine has, has high sugar content, right? Relatively. Mm -hmm. We know that sugar negatively impacts the microbiome, but red wine positively impacts the microbiome, right? Mm. So, you know, the, the sum of parts is different from each individual part, right? So that would be a new question, say with our flavored tablets, what does that do to the microbiome, right? Because we know that, you know, hydrogen water either created through bubbling or especially created by elemental magnesium like we do. We haven't tested our tablets in the microbiome. It's on our, our to-do list. You know, we, yeah. we've been soliciting researchers to do it, but we know that uh, hydrogen water and hydrogen water created using magnesium positively impacts the microbiome. We know that the sum of parts is often different, right? So even though sucralose, right, could have a slight negative impact in the microbiome. If a hydrogen water has a strong impact in the microbiome, does putting a very small amount of sucralose in change that? Mm -hmm. and, and that's a good question. That's what we don't know. Right, but then right. uh, look into it, does stevia have a different effect? Does monk fruit have a different effect, right? Mm -hmm. And this is, is where things get really, really difficult to gauge and interpret and you know, estimate is we mm. need to do these big studies to look at everything, right? That might see slight or negligible differences. And then it's no, no claims, right? And this is research that, well, nobody does, right? Like even pharmaceutical companies that spend a billion dollars don't do little, little studies looking at very specific things like this for the most part, right? This is typically done you know, by researchers that have a keen interest and have funds to do it, right? Yeah. Um, we try and cover as many things as we can in our research, but uh, there's only so much funds and there's so, only so many research teams that are willing to use their funds as well, mm -hmm. right? So there's always going to be questions. And the more, the more research we do, then you have to replicate that research. You have to get different labs to test it and see if they get the same result. It's why science moves so slow. Yeah. Well, it's, it's good that you're doing a lot of, a lot of research anyway, you know, even if it means back and forth and trying another lab and then a slight formulation. Okay. We need to send this off again to find out how this reacts with that. And because we put one extra little element in there. Yeah. It, 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 Exactly. Right. And like, you know, for, for people listening, I mean, we've got something like, so we've got seven clinical trials published, three case studies in the preclinical trial, all published. We have 16 other, 16 other clinical trials that are underway and four preclinical research programs underway. But there's a lot of other teams interested in studying our stuff. But then when they tell me their idea and I tell them, well, we have this other clinical trial that's underway, that's going to answer this question. Then they'll say, oh, Let's wait to get the results for that, right? Because, right, they might want to change what they're looking at depending on what's already underway, right? So science moves very slow, 
right? You know, and depending on the study, the resources they have, one study, you know, it could take a year or two years, right, to complete recruitment. And then if the team is busy, right, say personnel leave, say, you know, key, key researchers go from one university to the next, all of a sudden they have to get new people in the project, causes delays, does all this stuff. Um, and then all the researchers have to agree on the manuscript, mm-hmm. right? And then they have to get it published through peer review, right? Sometimes they pick a journal and the journal doesn't have a timeline. And six months later, it's sitting in a quagmire and peer reviewers haven't looked at it yet, <laughs> right? Because the editor, you know, has forgotten about the paper. Then they have to withdraw, find a new journal. So sometimes it takes you know, a year to two years, right, to, to get a paper published, even after it's done. Um, there's other bizarre things that happen, like, you know, say, for instance, uh, researchers pick one journal, because they think it, it fits good, but, you know, they didn't read the sculpt properly. Well, all of a sudden, the, the paper's tied up for four months, and the editor said, says, oh, well, this paper doesn't really fit into what we publish. And that's not a comment on the paper being bad. It's they picked the wrong journal and now they just wasted four months. So now what they have to do is find a new journal and they have to completely reformat the article, right? Because one journal might say you can have, you know, 60 citations and be within this word count with, you know, this, you know, formatting, this font, this spacing, all, all these things and have to like flow it like this. Then the next journal might say, we only allow 40 citations right you know and it has to be structured like this and like oh i have to get rid of 20 citations and remove 500 words which basically means they have to rewrite the study and then submit it to this new journal to see if this new journal will take it and it's basically like can be a full-time job for someone on one team to find the right journal and get it you know published so science can move really, really, really slow. And for these reasons, um, often with hydrogen, I'll talk about certain things and uh, maybe be more confident and we move in one area and people ask me, how are you justifying that based on the evidence? And it's it's because I have data, as do a lot of researchers, that's two years old, three years old. So I'm seeing a far bigger picture, right, than someone just searching PubMed can see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I see that. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. One thing I wanted to ask about was um, you've got the essential fatty acids on your on your website as well, like with the omega-3 fatty yeah, omega-3. acids. You know, um, it's, uh, we give it away for two bucks when anyone buys, you know, what, one, uh, one of our premium products. Um, it's one of those things that, you know, omega-3s are, are, are critical to our health. And most people, a lot of people that eat Western diets aren't getting the right ratio of, say, omega, you know, 3, 6, 9. They're getting too many, like, omega-6s and 9s and it's stuff. like about 20 to 1 ratio or something, isn't it? Um, yeah, I forget the exact to... ratio. But say, for instance, you eat, like, you know, a Mediterranean diet, you probably have no benefit in taking an omega-3 because your ratios are already good enough. But say you're eating like a lot of processed foods, using a lot of the wrong oils in your cooking, you know, not eating, say like a lot of fish and, you know, stuff like that. Uh, you probably need an omega-3 supplement, right? So with, with these essential products we put on, like the omega-3s and the vitamin Ds, 
we didn't believe in in upcharging because these are off the shelf items, right? Mm. You can get these items from any contract manufacturer, you know, and buy like you know five hundred bottles or a thousand bottles for like. By the time we pay for like our labels and shipping to our factory, it's like two bucks, right? So we oh. give them away at our cost, right? Mm. When people buy our goods, you know, whereas other companies might charge fifteen bucks, twenty bucks. For the same thing or discounters charge you know eight ten bucks for the same thing but we're like it wasn't something that we could feel proud of making a big margin off of because we put no work into it right they're what we're calling essentials and um for vitamin d you know what we did you know is we just decided in the fall uh most governments in you know most governments in the Northern hemisphere already recommend vitamin D supplementation during the winter time. Right. Um, I'm not going to say that vitamin D works, you know, to COVID because it's all speculative evidence. It's, it's correlated. There's no good causative evidence, but there's evidence that, you know, vitamin D could do something for COVID. Not for sure. Right. We need way better evidence. Uh, but at the low cost and the potential gain and the fact that, you know, in the UK and Canada and the U S we're already recommended to take a vitamin D supplement during the winter time. I just said, okay, like if we're going to talk about this, I'm not going to profit here off of it. So with all purchases over 30 bucks on our site, we give a free month's worth of vitamin D. Right. So we're, we're, we know that the evidence isn't conclusive, right but people should be taking it anyways so that's our our, you know free essential throughout you know the whole winter time you know and and probably for as long as the pandemic continues going is we're just popping a free bottle of vitamin d that's awesome that's really cool really cool that is amazing um yeah i i think that's it that's it man i think i've uh i got everything I need covered, to be honest, and extras. <laughs> is, is there anything else that you want to mention? Maybe a, a future plan, unless you want to keep that sort of like under wraps for now. Um, people, people will probably be hearing about us pretty soon, you know, in press releases in the news for some of the clinical research we have coming out. So, I mean, uh, I'll, I'll obviously keep you posted on all this stuff. There's some really cool stuff on the horizon, but I can't talk about it yet because it, it's not available. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it, in the public domain, it's easy to search like stuff like we, we don't have the results yet, but um, our study in the elderly just wrapped up last week, right? Mm-hmm. Looking at like, you know, 30 or so, you know, phenotypic biomarkers of aging in a 70 plus population after six months use of our tablets really crossing my fingers for that one mm-hmm. um we've got a lot of research with our hydrogen tablets regarding covid going on you know uh, a couple smaller studies that are, are, are finished i don't want to talk about the results until they're published but mm-hmm. you know, some cool stuff and um we have that uh, big phase three clinical trial for covid that was initiated by a university in france right so you know, this isn't us trying to look and see if this helps, you know, for COVID-19 in, in you know, a 60 plus population. This is a university. We, we just, 
you know, donated some tablets and gave another, you know, small donation so that I could monitor patients for a year after to look at like long-term, you know, impacts. Mm. Um, but there's something big happening with that. You know, it's, it's actually the trial is expanding. So again, this is more stuff for press releases that, you know, the universities will have to be involved in to like make announcements. So I can't, I can't, tell more about that until it's available but yeah when, when could we expect to hear some information on that like when would the results come in hoping the next few months right, right. for the phase three trial um you know for again uh for like the elderly study and the smaller studies it really depends on how quickly the teams can write the paper and if right. they choose the right journal and that's what i was saying i mean man like sometimes like the same teams will write one paper and submit it to one journal two months later, write it to another, write a different paper, submit it to a new journal. And, you know, the second paper, maybe they just got lucky in picking the journal or like did better work in picking the journal. All of a sudden it's published a month later, whereas the first one gets held up for a year. Right. You know, as they have to like reformat and pick a new journal and stuff like that, Mm. you know, and I've gone through this personally, a paper I wrote, um, you know, the one peer reviewer said, gave nothing but positive things about what I wrote. And the second, right. And, and what I wrote, it, it was to do with, you know, um, alcohol intake recommendations and, and like, you know, governmental recommendations and how we could be utilizing, you know, biometric data from wearable technologies to form, you know, better recommendations, you know, for people. Um, the guy said that I had a conflict of interest and I sell wearable technology. So nothing I wrote can be trusted. I don't sell any wearable technology and I never have. Right. So he, he improperly looked at, you know, something and wrote this scathing review. And so the editor said, well, you know, the one reviewer was positive, but based on how negative the other one is, you know, we're not going to publish at this time. And I said, but his review was factually incorrect. I mean, it's going to be part of my book, you know, Mm -hmm. interviewing some of the professors on some of the most ludicrous, you know, things that have been told. I know, uh, you know, one professor I know told me he had a paper, you know, rejected, right? Because they said he didn't account for gender differences and he used a computer model right used a computer model there was no gender you know at play it was just like a bullshit you know thing that was said to like stifle his research but that's what you get right um in these four private journals and um they're picking often you know the editors are often like going and and, uh, finding reviewers that they're friends with those reviewers have their own bias maybe what you wrote is contradictory to what they publish, right? So they try everything to stifle the research. So it's it's are there a, ways around this? Uh yeah, work for Harvard or you know okay. Stanford or something like that. Um, mm. There's actually been a big problem that some of the biggest uh, journals um, have started publishing papers, right? You know, as sneak peeks and stuff like that that are published and then advertised but seem to only get published and advertised if the authors are from like prestigious universities like Harvard and stuff. And that's before peer review happens. So one of the big issues in peer review is it's single blind, 
right? Um, the editor and reviewer know who you are, but you don't know who they are, right? So yeah. they can immediately form a bias against you depending on your institution, what you've said. Now they're judging you on where you come from, not the content of your work, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, in uh, a couple of, like, you know, in the stuff I've tried to get published, um, I've had uh, overwhelmingly editors email me back saying, you know, you're not an academic, you know, don't submit this. And I said, well, did you read what I wrote? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote a book chapter actually recently. Um, it's in press right now. And uh, I was invited by the professor who got the book deal to do it because he recognized me as an expert on the subject. It was on molecular hydrogen. I wrote it. It, he's the editor in chief, right? He approved it, sent it for peer review. Both reviewers recommended publication and approved it. He approved the final. And then the journal rejected it for the book because I'm from the private sector without a PhD. Oh, right. So I actually had to go and get a researcher who was willing to read my book chapter and then put his name on after we did huge revisions so that he contributed. And I had to spend double the time on it to add this other researcher. So it had his thoughts and views on it so that the actual publisher, right? Not the reviewers, not the editor, the publisher would accept me because of my background. Right. So it's, some of the problems I've got some solutions that I write about. Um, I'm usually not in favor of government, you know, intervening, but I think something like this has to be done by the government, something like scientific publishing. It has to be, I think there should be tit for tat systems, you know, review should be completely unblinded. You know, who is slandering you, right? Yeah. it, It will really, mean that okay everyone is giving an honest review because if you never know who the reviewer is that's making these accusations against you they get away with saying whatever they want mm. and right? they feel comfortable with doing that as well yeah exactly and then you reciprocate now all of a sudden it's your turn to review someone and you know all the nasty things that have happened to you now you lash out you know at the next person right yeah. it, it's it's a vicious cycle um but you know, I think the, the solution to a lot of this is um, a centralized system of scientific publishing where everyone, if, say, you got your funds from a government, you know, grant or like various, you know, grant committees, you have to publish in the centralized journal. Now, the centralized journal has the same criteria, right, for formatting, references, all of these things, right? So that researchers aren't having to reformat, rewrite, right? To try and fit into these private journals that everyone knows what the, the criteria is. But then say for instance, um, you write a huge article that has 200 citations, and 10,000 words, there could be tiers. That means you have to review two small articles. So basically you do it first. You wanna publish your paper and you have to act and do a good job being a reviewer for another paper before yours gets reviewed, mm-hmm. right? And it just cycles through people like that. So everyone 
contributes to the review process, you know, before their work gets reviewed. Yeah. Right? yeah. You know, and then it could drop costs. I mean, publishing in some journals, you know, and it comes out of your grant funds, you know, to get your paper published and then people have to pay for it to read it a lot of the time, you know, the researchers spend all their time doing all the work and then have to pay the publisher a thousand, two thousand, four thousand dollars to publish their work, right? And then it's stuck behind a firewall. So if you want to read it, now you have to pay 30 bucks, 50 bucks, 60 bucks to read the paper. And institutions have to pay flat rates to get access to all the papers. And this system is just putting billions and billions of dollars in these for-profit, you know, private publishers. And all that money and time and effort could be utilized for better science. Absolutely. Wow. When could your book be expected to come out? You reckon? Ooh, I'm doing a, I'm doing a study for the book. It, it's a, a, it's a, you know, questionnaire um, trying to, you know, define various conflicts of interest. Um, I, I don't want to give info away on, on what the intent of this study is because mm-hmm. people listening might end up doing the questionnaire and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to say what our hypothesis is. Yeah. Um, just that I, I believe there's a problem with how conflicts of interest are defined, you know, w- within publishing. Uh, so we're finalizing that questionnaire. Um, I've solicited, uh, uh, you know, psychology professor who, who writes questionnaires like this to make sure my, all the phrasing of the questions is appropriate. I am not leading people to answers or anything like that. Um, I'm hoping to get like a thousand people do this questionnaire, analyze that data, maybe even publish that as a paper and then include my book. So the book is almost done a rough draft. I'm over 50,000 words in right now, but doing this study, publishing it, refining that, and then just working on it. um, I'm going to say if all goes well, no less than a year later. Right. Awesome. Awesome. When that does. Yeah. It's a bit of work to do before that comes out, but when it does come out, we're going to have to have a chat again. <laughs> I'm sure it's really digging into this. It makes me wonder how we know anything. I know. Right. You know, how as a society do we know anything, right? When we look at how our information and gathering of truth and reporting of truth is so fractured, you know, but we do look at us right? Look at where we are today, as opposed to a hundred years ago, a thousand years ago, mm-hmm. you know, we can obtain knowledge, we, we can know things. It's just, we could, we could be doing a lot better of a job. I think we have a lot of information now, but we also have too much information. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of BS, which is floating around. And it's, it's, you know, we have to, um, just know how to filter through it and not everybody is has a good filtering process they're like oh this is information it must be correct (laughs) you know you know if it's on a magazine on a billboard on the tv it's like okay this must be the gospel yeah um, and and you watch i mean um my wife watches likes watching u.s network news kind of as like you know um like a soap opera right? Or like <laughs> TV, like she gets a kick. So for instance, she likes watching um, Tucker Carlson, right? On Fox. And then Chris Como on CNN back to back. 
right? You know, and, and she'll sit and laugh as she watches it. Like she just gets a big kick out of it. She especially <laughs> likes it when they talk about each other, right? Because they'll insult each other on the shows. But you can watch, right? And, and it gets so much worse than CNN and Fox too, right? On, on both sides of the spectrum. Yeah. But you can watch um, those two shows in a row. They can be talking about the same issue. And unless you're really paying attention, it's not immediately obvious they're talking about the same thing because the interpretations of, of what they're talking about are so polar opposite. Right. And there's no similarities. And, you know, it, it's like, they're both, neither are the news. They're both opinion pieces that they're interpreting the news to their own agenda. Right. And it's so easy for people to say that watch only one side of it on the news every day to completely vilify and dehumanize the other side, yeah. right? Because when you see what the other side is saying and doing, and it's so opposite to what you believe, you think that person is either an idiot or evil. Yes, yes. I was always thinking in my head. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny, man. It's funny. Well, look, man, this this can go on and on and on. I think, I think... I think we done good. I think we done good. We covered a lot today. So um, thank you very much for your time. Um, yeah, and yeah, thanks for everything you do at Drink HRW. I mean, just even just the one product alone is incredible. The hydrogen water, and now I mean, you've got all these other stuff. You got the bath hydrogen tablets. You got the beauty. You got the the NAD. Um, and you know the vitamins, the fats, and all that sort of stuff. And now the supplements uh, for training um, and more to come. Like you're doing great stuff, man. So thank you very much for that. So you can be found on Instagram if you could give your Instagram handle. Yeah, it's just at drink HRW, right? So HRW means hydrogen rich water, right? So drink yeah. hydrogen rich water is what it is, drink HRW. And that, that's our website too, drinkhrw.com. Okay. Okay. Are you on Twitter at all? Um, I don't know. Right. Um, uh, I, I know, uh, like we have a social media manager yeah. and I know he was sort of fixing everything. I mean, I'm not big on social media. Um, myself personally, I didn't even have an Instagram until, you know, my marketing team told me I had to get one. <laughs> yeah. Kind of important, <laughs> but yeah, Twitter is a good one as well. You know, micro blogging, that's what people are doing these days. So if you're not on there, um, you know, speak to one of your team to set that up. Yeah, no, I, I think we set it up, but then they wanted me to be writing like captions and stuff to like fit with our narrative. And, you know, between I'm working on like a handful of like scientific, you know, articles right now, some collaborations with teams and working on three different books. And it's just, I didn't know when I'd be able to actually put tweets out and uh i think we just need to find someone that can read enough of my work so that they're not like talking shit that i don't agree with and get yeah. mad at you know what i mean i'll tell you one th one thing what you can do for now is you can connect your instagram to your twitter so the moment a a post goes up on instagram it gets posted straight away on twitter so at least that way, you know, the content which is going on there is yeah. legit. Okay. Um, and any extra tweets that you might want to do on top, you can do. But at least this way, you are reaching the people in the 
you know, the 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 Twitter space. Yeah, yeah, no, that's uh, I'll, I'll let our social media manager know that because I know he posts on Instagram, but it, it shares to Facebook too. So I know right. he has it set up with Facebook, but um, I think we started a a, a Twitter um, when we hired one social media manager like a year ago, and then she didn't work out. She just didn't do any work, you know, like right. didn't ever start. Um, so I think uh, I think that never got integrated to our mm-hmm. software. But you know that that's a a good point. I should let them know. Yeah, all good, man. All good. So again, thank you very much, and uh, yeah, enjoy the rest of your day. It's pretty early for you now, isn't it? What eleven? What twelve o'clock possibly? It's ten. Ten. Okay, ten. All oh, right. Okay. <laughs> I'm going for a hike right after this, in like half an hour. Lovely. Enjoy, my man. Enjoy. Again, good thank you. Will do. Will do. You take care, sir. You too. Thank you for tuning in today's episode. Any guests which I have on the show really provide some golden nuggets and useful life-changing tips. So always feel free to check out their social media platforms or website links, which will be written in the show notes. These shows are financed by my sponsors, so your contributions are always greatly appreciated. Any clickable links with discount codes will not only provide you with the best services, but will help out the podcast too. So thank you. If you do like the Roger Snipe Show podcasts, then why not give it a review? A five star would be awesome but some great feedback on what you liked about the show or what you would have liked to hear would be helpful too. Until next time.